0: I wonder as I look back over my life how many times that the Lord has been passing by and I've missed him or I've ignored him or I thought there would be another opportunity to engage with him and listen to him and learn from him. This morning we're looking at Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 and asking the question, is your opportunity slipping away? All of us have an expiration date. There's going to be a day when we die and in that day we will either enter into the presence of God in heaven or we'll either enter into the presence of hell with the devil and his demons, but there's a day coming when our opportunities are gone. While it is still day, we need to seek the Lord. This is a familiar story in the Gospels for it is Jesus and his disciples have come down from Galilee and they're passing through Jericho and they are on their way to Jerusalem to the Passover. It is about a 15-mile trip almost straight uphill. When you leave Jericho down below sea level, you head toward Jerusalem, and this is where the Psalms of Ascent were sung by the Jews as they would make their way to Jerusalem. The importance of this story is this would be the very last time Jesus passes through Jericho. So anybody that is going to have an encounter with Jesus in Jericho has to have it on this day or he will not have it or she will not have it. This is the last and the only chance that is left for the people in Jericho before Jesus makes his way to the cross to die for our sins. Now these accounts, this is in all the Synoptic Gospels, what differs is in Matthew and in Luke it tells us that there were two people that were healed Uh, Mark only gives us one and he gives us the name. If I remember it, I'll tell you why later on, which hopefully will make you wait for the answer. Verse 46, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a large crowd, a blind man named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, "'Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me.'" Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, "'Son of David, have mercy on me.'" And Jesus stopped and called, said, "'Call him here.'" And so they called the blind man, saying to him, "'Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you.'" And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus, and answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now if you remember earlier in chapter 10, Jesus had asked, to other people the question, what do you want me to do for you? Those were two disciples, James and John. And they wanted to get the seat at the right hand and the left hand of God. They wanted power, they wanted prestige, they wanted positions. Not everybody that is asking Jesus for something is asking Jesus for something that glorifies Jesus. Here we have the same question with a totally different attitude in Bartimaeus. Here's the key. In life, we usually seek the hardest, what we want the most. That's true in hobbies, that's true in our jobs, that's true in our relationships, and it's certainly true in our faith. We usually seek the hardest, what we want the most. One of the reasons we are not seeing revival in America today is because the American church is by and large casually seeking God, even in the midst of a pandemic. We're casually seeking God. And what is casual to us is lost quickly. Jesus is accessible here. He's going through the crowd with his disciples. Bartimaeus hears that he's coming. Now it cannot be because this is just not the way it was, It cannot be that there are only two people in Jericho that needed healing that day. It cannot be that there were only two that were blind or lame or sick or whatever. It it can't be that there were just two. But Matthew and Luke say two were healed. Mark says one was healed. Jesus was accessible and two got to him. Bartimaeus got to him. These others apparently didn't cry out. Here's their attitude. They were American Baptists, this is what they did. They sat on the side of the road and said, well, if Jesus really loves me, he'll know that I'm here and he'll just come over here and talk to me. You realize that Jesus never, never, never initiated a healing. He was always initiated by a request. Jesus never said, oh look, there's some people I just think I'll walk over there and wave my hand, the choir all faint and pass out and everybody will be healed. He didn't treat healing flippantly any more than he treated salvation flippantly. You had to want it. You had to desire it. The Bible gives us this clear example of Bartimaeus seizing his opportunity. In this day, there, there were no provisions, there was no welfare, there was no Medicare or Medicaid, there was no government program, there was no school for the handicapped, there was no school for the blind. The only way to eat was to beg. And you had to be desperate, and you had to outshout the others around you to try to get somebody's attention. See, one of the problems we have is too many of us confuse the possibility of victory with victory. We know that Jesus can do anything. We know that Jesus can meet us at the point of our need, but we confuse the fact that we know it with actually walking in it. We can know about it and not live in victory. We, We give up, we settle, we quit, or we typically say, I know God's done it for other people, but I just don't think he'll do it for me. Here's the one thing about Bartimaeus. He knew he was blind. I mean, you do not have to tell a blind man that he's blind. Bartimaeus knew that he was blind. What's happening in our world is that there are millions and millions of people that are spiritually blind and don't know it. They think they see perfectly well. They think they can figure it all out. They don't realize that they are spiritually blind and when given an opportunity of Jesus passing by their lives, They either reject it or they ignore it or they say, I want to wait till later to think about it a little more. But for some people, every day, listen, for some people, every day is their last day, their last day to have an opportunity to do something with Jesus. There will be people that will die today that did not plan on it. There will be people that will die today that had nothing wrong with them yesterday. The day may be the last day, and we can't reject it. So the first thing we need to see is that Bartimaeus' desire was birthed in desperation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's my chance. This may be my only chance. Now, he calls him son of David, which is a messianic term. Now, we don't know if Bartimaeus actually understood everything about the Messiah, but he had heard enough about Jesus and his ministry that he had the characteristics of Messiah, and to call him son of David was to give him a messianic term. He couldn't see him, but he could hear that he was passing by. He had survived by begging for coins in a cup. Now he begs for mercy. This world is full of beggars. A lot of beggars want something for nothing. A lot of beggars want something and keep coming back and want something more because they don't want to change their condition to move from beggars to being people that walk in blessings. And so they just live begging One day after another. They're begging for relationships, they're begging for money, they're begging for pleasure, for power, whatever it is. But Bartimaeus, his begging switches. It's no longer, I need some money so I can eat. Bartimaeus, in his head somewhere, has heard enough about Jesus, the son of David, that he says to himself, If he can change them, maybe he can change me. And that's the first step. You've got to believe that he can change you. And so he seizes this moment, this opportunity. And people are trying to get him to be quiet. Don't bother him, he's busy, leave him alone. Can I tell you something? If you're trying to get to Jesus for salvation or for sanctification, to take a further step in your faith, somebody, and it may be in your family, is going to tell you to be quiet, mind your own business, and don't bother Jesus. There's always somebody that's going to tell because the last thing they want in their family is a Jesus freak. They don't want a fanatic. They don't want anybody that loves Jesus. Why? Because if they're religious, it shows how dead their religion is. So the best thing we can do is put a lid on any enthusiasm about Jesus because then those of us that are not enthusiastic feel okay that you don't have to be enthusiastic about Jesus. Now, we get enthusiastic that college football may start back. But Jesus, let's keep a lid on it. Let's just not get too excited. There are men in this room and you, you, your snot's been running down your nose and, and you've been spitting everywhere because you think college football might start back and you've never one time said a hallelujah to Jesus in your life. And if somebody does it next to you, you go, uh-oh, they must come from one of those charismatic churches. We, we want to go where everybody's dead and quiet and silent. Bartimaeus wouldn't have been welcome in most Baptist churches because he's shouting for Jesus. He kept crying out. The word means to make a vehement scream. He is screaming to the top of his lungs. He wants Jesus to hear him. There's no pride. There's no fear of peer pressure. He wasn't going to miss this moment. It could have been that the disciples were even trying to get him to calm down. Hey, you know what? we got a plan. we got a day timer here. Just got a reminder on my iPhone that we got to get on the road because we're going to be late getting to Jerusalem. You know, it's a climb to get up there. You have to stop. We've got a lot of people around us. Could be some traffic jams. Some camels ran into each other or something. So, we, we, you know, we got to make sure we get up there in time. He kept crying all the louder. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, you have to ignore public opinion. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, you have to ignore public opinion because Jesus is never going to be at the top of the popularity food chain. You have to ignore public opinion. You can't be lazy and get to God. Then there's a discernment of his desire. Jesus stopped, verse 49, and said, Call him here. And so he called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? So in these verses, the cry for mercy was answered with a call to come. The cry. For mercy was answered with a call to come. Come on. You know you you have to put yourself in the pages of the Bible every now and then. You know that there's everybody got quiet when Jesus called him. We want to hear what's he gonna say? Is Jesus gonna say to this guy, look, bud? I've got a mission. I'm going to the cross. I don't have time for any more of this. You should have caught me earlier in my earthly ministry. I don't have time to do this. Everybody got quiet to see what Jesus was going to say and what Jesus was going to do. He he called him to come. He called him to come. And now I'm sure this is what happened because we are by nature late adapters. I'm sure that there were some other people that said, man, I want, you know, know, I should have said something when he went by me. I should have called out to him. But you see, they'd already missed their opportunity. He stopped for this man because he screamed to the top of his lungs and he didn't care what anybody thought about him because he just had to get a hold of Jesus. You know, I wonder, I wonder, does it ever cross our minds? See, the longer we're in church, the more we're in a rut. I like to be around new Christians because they hadn't gotten in our ruts yet. Now, they are always church members trying to push them into the rut. Just get in a rut with the rest of us. You know, you're gonna learn when you've been saved a while which door to come through, which seat to sit in, which person to talk to, which person to avoid. You're going to learn which songs you like and which songs you don't like. Just go ahead and just get in a rut. Just get in a rut. And when you get in a rut, then we're going to be a bunch of rutless Christians. Which rhymes with gutless Christians. But I wonder, do we ever come to church? I'm asking you a serious question right now. Expecting God to do something? I mean, did you get up this morning and get dressed and make your way here and on your way and while you were sitting here, before the service ever started, did it ever enter your mind? Could God do something phenomenal today? You know, we come and we get information and we get a little inspiration, but we don't get much transformation. We get We feel good. The song makes us feel good or seeing our friends makes us feel good. But did we get up this morning expecting God to work? Listen, God meets us at the level of our expectations. If you got up this morning and didn't really expect him to do anything this morning, I promise you, you're probably not going to be disappointed. Jesus stops when he's wanted and he goes where he's welcome. And if he's not welcome and wanted, he'll just keep moving. He's looking for a place. He's looking for a people. He's looking for a a moment when God's people say, Lord, we don't care what anybody in this world says. We want you to show up. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let me ask you just a question. Let's just get ourselves in this text. What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus walked in right now, but for those of us that survived that moment, if Jesus walked in right now and walked right up to you, because we're social distance so he doesn't have to squeeze in, walked right up to you and looked at you and put his finger right in your face and said, what do you want me to do for you right now? Most of us would say, I need to think about that. Which says we didn't come expecting God to do anything. You see, if you come to church and you don't know what you want God to do in you, then you're not ready for God to do something in you. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus didn't say, well, you know, I was thinking about, you know, could you give me some odds on winning the lottery? he didn't bring up anything superficial. He brought up the one Thing he needed what's the one thing you need God to do for you that's what he brought up Jesus is not asking for information he's asking for an honest confession he's probing the heart hey, have you ever noticed that sometimes we ask dumb questions I mean really I mean we do you, you, somebody walks in the church and they got their arm in a cast and you know what you do you go huh break your arm Nah, I just decided to just go get a cast put on it just to see if you'd ask me a dumb question. Neighbors, got a truck's pulled in, got guys up on the roof at 98 degree temperature in the south, stripping off shingles, got big pads of new shingles up. You meet them out at the mailbox and you look at them and say, hey, how you doing? Getting a new roof? You see somebody, they got a car, it's got a dent in the side of it. Hey, have a wreck? We ask a lot of dumb questions. Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. He's probing to get him to admit what he really needs. He'd been begging all his life. Son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, we know his name. He'd been begging all his life. And and can I tell you something, quite honestly? Honestly. Some people enjoy begging. Some people enjoy begging. Here's, here's what I mean by that. I mean, we're just kind of in neutral. We're just kind of average. We're just kind of stuck. We're not growing in our Christian faith. And then all of a sudden we hit camp or disciple now or revival or a, a Sunday school lesson or a worship service or something. And, and then all of a sudden we realize we're in a mess. And so we, we get right with God. We, we kneel at our seat. We come to the altar. We go home. We, we get in our prayer closet. We get right with God temporarily. Temporarily. The problem is when the emotion of that moment wears off, the decision of that moment also seems to wear off. We, we don't make the decision regardless of what our emotions are. The decision is a temporary one because we didn't really want to get fixed. We just wanted to feel better. Isn't, isn't that what we do at the doctor's office? I mean, when the doctor says, you know, we need to do a little more testing. How about you just tell me to take one more aspirin and let's not worry about it. We don't really want to get fixed. We don't really want to get cured. We just want some relief. And if I walk the aisle and give my life to Jesus, he's going to expect me to give him my life, my love, and my all. Here's our issue. We can enjoy the edges of religion, but not be interested in the depths of discipleship. We can enjoy being around the edges of religion, but not be interested in the depths of discipleship. Because you see, If I cry out to Jesus, and Jesus does in me what I say I want him to do in me, then I have to change. I can't walk out of here the same way I walked in. This is a promising question because it seems and appears that Jesus wants to answer it. And again, Jesus didn't heal people unless they took the initiative, unless they asked. The, the two parables that Jesus taught on prayer emphasize persistence in asking. God does a deep work in people that want to go deep, in people that have already conditioned their heart for him to do something significant in their lives. Ron Dunn said, my asking causes God to do some things he wouldn't do otherwise. He has ordained that some things are limited to the realm of prayer. Some things are limited to the realm of prayer. What do you want me to do for you? How badly do you want it? Do you want it enough to repent? Do you want it enough to change? Do you want it enough to ignore public opinion? But here's this other thing. He throws off his cloak. Now the cloak, and it's there are no words that are accidents in the Bible. The cloak was a long flowing outer garment. It, it would be a combination coat to keep you warm, to keep you dry, and, and to cover up it was long it was huge most beggars would have dug through a garbage dump to get their cloak and he threw it aside why did he throw it aside jesus was calling him he's still blind but he doesn't want to pick up this old stinking cloak from a garbage dump because he doesn't want to trip over it trying to get to jesus And so he cast it aside. Why did he cast it aside? If Jesus could do what Jesus said he could do, and if Jesus answered his request, he wouldn't need that cloak again because he wasn't gonna be a beggar anymore. He wouldn't need it. And so he cast it aside. Question, what is it that God is asking you to throw aside? What is it that you hold on to? Is that, oh, it stinks? It smells of the world? It smells of your fleshly efforts? It smells of dead religion? It st- smells of trying harder and New Year's resolutions that never work? It's, it smells of an old fleshly way of trying to get to God? What is it that God is saying that we need to throw aside? And then there's a desire that led to discipleship. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. There was a public declaration. He began following him. This is a technical word on following. It's an imperfect tense. The grammar experts in Greek say this is an ingressive imperfect which means that once Bartimaeus set his foot to follow Jesus he never stopped following Jesus. Matthew and Luke mention two Mark mentions one. This is my opinion. One of them followed for a while and then quit. He's one of those that if you've been in church for any time you look around one day and say Whatever happened to so-and-so? You know, they used to be in the choir, and they used to be a greeter, and they used to be an usher, and they used to be on a praise team, and I never see them anymore. They used to sit in my section, and I never see them anymore. That's the one we don't know the name of. But Bartimaeus was so committed in his following that 30 years later, when Peter dictates this to Mark to write it down, Peter remembers his name was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, apparently because Bartimaeus was still a witness for Jesus. He never got over what Jesus did for him on that day. Some people, they follow for a while and then they just slip off and go do their thing. But then there are those that God remembers decades later and puts their name in his book and says, you want to know what following me looks like? 30 years from now, somebody will remember your name that you didn't waver and you're following after Jesus. You see, to know Jesus is to love him, to love him is to trust him, to trust him is to obey him and to obey him is to become like him. And so as I was working on this message, I, I just asked myself the question, you know, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Good question. I want to get my sight. But there's an implied question. What does God want from us? What does God want from us? Hey, we have watered down Christianity to the point. Salvation is free. It means I don't have to do squat for Jesus, but I want the mansion closest to the throne. That's not the way it works. If Jesus saved you, he wants something from you. Not so that you can be saved, but to prove that you are saved. So I just came up with seven things that God wants from us. First of all, he wants faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does he want from us when we come to church? What does he want from us out of our daily living? He wants faith. Secondly, fellowship. He wants us to spend time with him in his word, in prayer. Thirdly, he wants holiness. We are to be like him. As he is holy, we are to be holy. First Peter talks about that. Fourthly, he wants praise and thanksgiving. We all just praise him for the fact that he saved us. We ought just praise him for the fact that we have a home in heaven. We ought to thank him that he got us up for another day and gave us an opportunity to serve him and to love him and to give and to invest in his kingdom. Number five, he wants to be Lord. He wants to be Lord. He's not in second place trying to get in first place. He wants to be Lord. End of discussion, boss, ruler, master of our lives. He wants to see growth. He wants to see growth. You know, some people have been saved 50 years and they're not any more mature than they were 50 years ago. They just kind of hit a spot and stop. And they don't go any further. And by the way, if you're not growing, you're dying. You're receding. He wants to see growth and he wants to see Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. The world needs to see in us the person of Jesus Christ, that he has made a difference in our lives. Now in the notes that are available, you see in there, I like what A.W. Tozer said about the marks of Jesus in our lives. It's, it's similar to this list of seven that I just gave you, but a little more detail, so let me give you those four and then ask you two questions. What are the marks of Jesus in our lives? First of all, the desire to be holy rather than simply being happy. We just live in a world that just wants to be happy. But you can be holy whether you're happy or not. Holiness is not about happiness. Holiness is about being like God. Now, holiness is not being a stick in the mud either. It's it's, it's not what some people try to make holiness into. Holiness is being like the God you love. That's what holiness is to be holy, being more important than being happy. Number two, the desire to see the honor of God advanced even at great personal expense. The desire to see the honor of God advanced even at great personal expense. My life, my love, my all. Self, service, substance. Time, talent, tithe. You wanna know if you're following Jesus close or from afar? Look at your time, look at what you're doing with your talents, and look at your tithe. Look at yourself, how you're, you always focused on yourself. Look at your substance, what do you do with it? Look at your service, are you serving? We are in desperate need of some people to serve. Some of us are sitting in this room perfectly capable of taking on a responsibility in the life of this church, And we have people in their 70s and 80s serving all morning long. So some of us in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s can just sit on our blessed assurance. And that needs to stop now. Shame on us for thinking we are so self-absorbed that we have taken a savior who stretched out his hands on a cross and we ever show up at church, ever show up at church and say, I just want to be fed. I just want people to take care of me. I don't want to do anything. I want everything done for me. Don't ask me for my time. Don't ask me for my talents. And don't ask me for my tithe. I just want to come and sit and soak and sour. And by the way, you do that long enough, you're like that garment out of the garbage dump. Your life begins to stink. It's not about what you want. Jesus didn't die to give you what you want. He died so that if he gives you what you want, which was Bartimaeus' sight, then at the end, you get up and follow him and do what he wants. That's what it's about. Thirdly, the desire to see things from God's viewpoint, living with an eternal Biblical perspective. I need to see things from the way God sees it. God is not stressed out in heaven about this pandemic or an election or anything else. There's not one time when there's been a panic button pushed at the throne room of heaven. Not even when his son was on the cross. And until I get that perspective... Every time somebody says something, I get jumpy. Oh, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, I don't know what's going to oh, happen. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I need to get my mask. And my mask says "Send relief, which means call 911. Uh, i got to get this. i got to do that. I get we panic over everything, and we panic over things that are nothing. And we panic over things we can't do anything about. We panic over things we can't do anything about. Things that you cannot control, and you stress about it, you stress about it. Instead of looking up to heaven and saying, God, I am glad you are on the throne, and whatever happens, it's not going to overrule your plan for this world. So I choose to focus on you, not on these knuckleheads in the media that are trying to scare me to death. Where's your focus? Number four, the desire to make eternity judgments rather than time judgments the desire to make eternity judgments rather than time judgments. So if Jesus, if you meet Jesus today, what will change? And if he calls you, what will you do? Let's pray together. If you are here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord is passing by. This could be your day of salvation. And I want to ask you today that at the end of this hour, you find your way out this room into the next steps desk in the atrium and you find one of our people and you say, I need to talk to somebody about having a relationship with Jesus. I've put it off too long. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that changes you on the inside out. Well, let's say you're saved today, and most of you are. Let's say you're saved today. What does God want from you today? What is it that you aren't doing because of public opinion? And what is it that you're not doing because you ref- refuse to lay aside that obstacle, that thing that you want to hold on to that that you think you think you need, but in reality, looking at life in light of eternity, you don't really need it. In fact, you don't own it, it owns you, because you pamper it, you nurture it, it's become an idol in your life. But to get to Jesus, to have intimacy with him, you're going to have to lay it down, So Father, I pray today for those that need to trust you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for those that came in today holding on to things that they need to let go of, that they would release those things. Lord, the days are too short for us to do business the old way, We need to be about kingdom business and the business of the gospel like we never have before. May we put our hands to the plow and be like Bartimaeus to follow, not for a day, a week, a season, but for year after year until we cross the finish line and meet you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.